Story number one. Engine manual written by operation technician. So, sir, what are we doing today? asked Greg. Greg was a spider-like two-meter-tall shallon with no visible eyes and four very precise, strong working limbs. Greg was a graduate of the Royal Fleet Academy, top of the class, and this was his first day as an engineer on the heroic battleship Escapade. Everyone knew about the battleship Escapade. It was the most famous craft in the region, having survived what some dreadnoughts did not. And no battleship should have. It was the one battleship in the Royal Navy that didn't have a standard-issue black paint job, and its white-gold colors brought feelings of excitement to any allies alongside the kilometer-long craft. Greg was very excited. What do they teach you kids about writing manuals nowadays? Chief Engineer ignored the question. The chief was an old wreck, effortlessly maneuvering through hallways with a dozen tentacled limbs. It wore a rebreather around its core bulb that allowed it to work alongside the mostly shallon crew. Writing, sir. Only that the manufacturer should write them, and we should follow them. So, uh, nothing. The chief swiped a card over the hatch and it slid aside. Stepping into the internal airlock, the two aliens waited for the outer door to close, and the inner one to open, letting them into the highest deck of engineering. The deck was a circular platform with a vast hull at the center, a structural beam several meters across connecting the engine to the frame of the ship. The force excreted by the engine was transferred to the battleship by this beam, along several others to the sides. Greg rushed to the inner hold of the deck, leaning over and looking down. There, going 100 meters down, there was a mess of engine, lit up by hundreds of spotlights and surrounded by walkways and beams. This was the muscle and the power source of the vast craft. Greg knew a lot about the Elation-class battleship. He knew even more about the engines, and he knew that this was not the Bezel 90A AHG engines. What? Greg considered if asking the question would be wise. What if we were supposed to know this? He asked anyway. What class of engine is this? Never be afraid to ask the stupidest of questions. If you don't, you'll get us all killed. The chief engineer slithered up to the railing and looked down as well. It's a human. The model? No. The engine. The escapade is a non-standard engine. The original Vizel engine was destroyed. Humans repaired the ship and installed their own engine. The chief waved to Greg to follow, and they descended to several decks. We call her the H-Engine, or the H-Drive. She is capable of three times the energy output and two times the forward thrust. Amazing. Why aren't all Elation battleships equipped with these? One, the humans don't sell these. Two, we cannot recreate her. And three, the chief rotated a face to Greg. There is a... Very, uh, limited number of crew who can service her. The shape opened midway in the engine. Another shillon stood there waiting for them with a really big binder. The binder, which had to be several thousand pages thick, was handed to Greg, along with a pencil, and the binder was a human style, opening up to the left to reveal ring-bound pages. On the top, in marker, the human letters, manual, written under the typed, Type 5 Zeta DD Diesel Frigate Maneuvering Thruster. The chief led Greg down a walkway and across a gap between the deck and the engine, up to a platform pressing its guts to the vast machine. The tentacle reached out, stopping short of touching a pipe. 
This is the main backup backup coolant line. Seven coolant systems need to fail before it comes into play. Replace it. The dread in the chief's voice made Greg re-examine the pipe. It was three centimeters thick and one meter long and had two curves. Then the pipe connected the two machine blocks. Greg turned around to ask a question, but the chief was already gone. Opening the manual, Greg began to flip through it. There were all thousand pages of the original here, but several inserted handwritten sheets separated each, adding up to what had been over 4,000 pages. Greg looked at the jumbled insert-filled index and flipped to the coolant system. Skipping past the overall system diagrams, he found the main backup backup coolant system and looked at his task. He found the entire coolant block outlined by hand and non-original page, describing the function and common problems. The how-to-replace note simply referred to as the coolant volume. The coolant volume, a second equally thick, originally assembled binder, was handed to him as the tired chalon on the uppermost deck of the engineering section. There he finally found the full specs of the left main backup backup coolant module and the page on replacing the line. The general guide on the process was crossed out with pen and an arrow pointed to the side of the page. Flipping the handwritten sheets, Greg saw a replacement parts list and step-by-step -step process on replacing the line. The parts list made no sense. Aside from the coolant pipe, the inner lining, spare bolts, and insulator rings, there was an array of unrelated items that no standard repair he knew of needed. He shook his head at the list and decided that he would not be laughing stock by asking for metal bars, insulator tape, three hammers, and a stethoscope. The inventory quickly and efficiently processed his request and produced a pipe, inner lining, spare bolts, and an insulator rings. Going back to the module, Greg shut down the drain the module. He quickly and efficiently and professionally removed the bolts, then the pipe, then the inner lining. With equal skill, he replaced the parts with fresh ones, secured the bolts, inspected his work, and turned on the module. The red light came on after Greg was bathed in a spray of still warm coolant. Eight hours later, dirty. Tired and angry, Greg laid out on the sixth set of pipe, inner lining, spare bolts, and insulator rings, along with three hammers, two metal bars, insulator tape, and a stethoscope. Flipping all the way back to the first page on the initial volume, Greg read the handwritten page titled, Step Zero. Sitting down, unfolded his limbs, relaxed, he sent a prayer to the spaghetti monster. This step he saw was necessary. Rising, he washed his hands, sprayed a freshly cleaned module with parts of distilled anti-rust holy water, and put a drop of WD-40 on all the moving bits. Following each step to the letter, Greg made sure that all parts, hammers, and parts matched the parts list as all other steps definitely didn't apply to his situation due to his lack of electronic, combustion, and anti-gravity modules. He closed the main manual and brought closer the coolant volume. Following the manual, the ever-handwritten, creased lot letter, Greg wrapped the inner lining with tape in three places, warmed it up with a heat gun, and inserted it into the pipe. He then wrapped the pipe in threads in the insulated tape, put on the WD-sprayed insulator rings and bolts, and reinserted the pipe. Two of the hammers went between the carved bits of the pipe and the modules it connected, setting the exact distance between. The third hammer was used to beat the titanium pipe into the modules. 
and screwing the two bolts on, Greg set the two wrenches from his tool kit on each and put the metal bar on the handles of those. Using the metal bars as oversized levers, Greg simultaneously twisted, pressing the bolts on either of the heads. Satisfied with the pipe as well in place, Greg proceeded to lean on each wrench. First at the bottom, then the top, then the bottom, then the top again, ensuring that the bolts didn't move again without his will. Pressing the stethoscope to each module in turn, Greg used a spare hammer to lightly ring the pipe, listening to the reverberation within. Satisfied, he removed the two hammers, freed the wrenches from the bent pipes, and wiped everything down. A wire went into the open electronic panel, bypassing a sensor, before Greg finally turned the module on again. Something hummed, clicked, and a fine layer of frost covered the pipe. Greg carefully added a second wire to the second spot, removed the first, and finally the second, closed the panel, and stepped back out of the platform. His minute of listening to the hum of the main backup backup coolant module was interrupted by a variety of alien cheering from the decks above and below him. Mechanics and engineers were applauding and giving him signs of approval from all around the engine. Greg stared at them, then back at the module, and then quietly closed the manual. End of story number one. Story number two. Turret Manual, written by Operation Technician. The problem with being a famous warship is that your fame extends to the enemy. The problem with having a white gold paint job on your famous battleship is that you stand out like a bar of platinum at a call sale. The problem with having a non-standard engine on your famous white gold battleship is that your sense of profile practically screams, shoot me, to every enemy in the system. The other two battleships of the Royal Fleet had standard powerful Vizal 90A HGH engines. They were impressive enough, a requirement for any torch designed to push a kilometer-long war machine. Their steady and comforting glow of the plumes were also completely dwarfed by the frantically maneuvering disco ball of gold and white between them. The two battleships cruised forward, bombarded with deadly precision, while the gleaming third evaded like a loose hose. Its sputtering Type 5 Zeta DD diesel frigate maneuvering thrusters spitting patterns of glowing exhaust in every direction. The two normal battleships didn't have to evade because no one was shooting at them. The enemy blob didn't give a crap about them. Instead, the hostile formation was saturating the area between them with an all manner of beams and munitions, laying into the frantic-looking battleship escapade. Escapade had become the deadliest disco ball in the history of the royal fleet of parties, much more so than the gun ball someone had once put up in a particularly large and drunken party a few years back. The stream of enemy slugs, lasers, missiles, and particle beams deflected off the Escapade's spotty shields in every direction, occasionally striking friends' shields and hulls. During the moment of free flight, Greg suddenly realized why the Escapade's primary turrets were built in such an over-engineered fashion. He flew into the hatchway and sailed forward and thrust cut out, and the hallway around him rotated a full 180 degrees. The ceiling was suddenly the floor, and clearly wanted to prove as such by drawing in and smacking the two-meter spider-like shallon into it with the full might of the Type 5 Zeta thrust. This happened in all five seconds, and Greg could only imagine how fast the primary turret had to move to continue firing through that maneuver. 
Greg took a deep breath and shook himself, grabbed a sledgehammer that he had been carrying with four of his arms, and kept running. The gunners were glad to see Greg, which was not a natural reaction to seeing a two-meter-long horrifying blood spider with equally massive sledgehammer charging at you. All hail the machine, roared Greg as he crashed into the engineering compartment, and bless its mechanical soul. Greg swung, striking the bent power conduit with a hammer. The meter-thick pipe took a hit in its stride, bending in and replying with an ear-splitting ring. Greg ignored it and drew for another strike. All hail the void of space. Bam! And the spaghetti monster. Bam! And the kraken. Bam! And to whom we owe our continued bam existence. The conduit sparked, screeched, and roared as a renewed power flowed through it. Somewhere down its length, the turret groaned to life. Holy crap, said one of the gunners, his purpose in life back into action and firing. Greg fell onto his torso, dropping the hammer and bowing to the conduit. Thank you. The sledgehammer was now back in his claws, and Greg was out of the compartment. Dispatch had already assigned for him Deck 50 Array 3. Deck 50 was high up. That meant that it was far away from the center of mass. That, in turn, meant that Greg felt as if he were a salt shaker as he scaled up the shaft 500 meters up into the battleship's nose. Every maneuver sent him into a wall or another and increasing strength as his distance from the safe decks increased. The third array was stuck. It had retracted into the hull as the side of the ship faced the enemy and now refused to extend. Greg knew what he had to do. He stuck the handle of the sledgehammer into the gears and inserted it into the dented mechanism and called to the bridge. I need maximum 30 degree rotation at half acceleration, he roared at the pilot. The pilot didn't answer. Instead, one of the walls suddenly on the floor and Greg held onto the business end of the tool for dear life using it as a lever to pry free the dented gears. Something snapped and groaned, and the array ran free, extending into space. Greg pulled out the fire extinguisher-sized can of WD-40 and poured half a liter of the toxic stuff into the system. Library 1 ordered dispatch with relentless, efficient tact. Going back down, the shaft was a bit easier. The walls beat on Greg like four bullies with steel fists, but the spastic upward acceleration of the main engine pulled the spider down with a grim determination. Primary 1 was the first of the Escapade's four primary turrets. It was, like much of Escapade, non-standard. It could swing in every direction, not just forward, and exercise that looked absurd when scaled up to the primary size. The primary wasn't moving, and neither was it firing. A dozen or so concerned Shalon and Wreck were crowded around the walkway overlooking the turret's mechanism. Three of the Shalon were furiously praying while the rest tried to slither into the primary innards in an effort to locate the problem. Greg knew primary one well, not because he trained to operate it in the academy. Guns like this simply just didn't exist anywhere in the Royal Navy except on board the Escapade. Greg knew this particular beast of a weapon well because this is where he had lunch every day. For weeks now, he had been enchanted with the horrific design, with its hacked-together guidance system and retrofitted servos. He knew Primary One just as well as he knew the Escapade's engine. It was still a mystery, but less so to him than most everyone else in the Royal Navy. Greg also knew what the turret liked and what it didn't. 
Get back! He smacked the other engineer gunner's back, and he grabbed the struggling Stallone by the rear leg and flung it out of the gun's inner hatch. Idiots. One of the wreck was the chief engineer. The squid creature caught the flying Shalon and dragged it back without argument. No one was about to argue with the specialist. Come on, whispered Greg as he ran around the turret, looking into the shutting the hatches. The damage wasn't internal. The turret was alive. It just couldn't move. What's wrong? What's stuck? Can't spin, whispered the primary. Hurts too much. Greg ran to the outer ring and looked into the gears. There. Set neatly inside the four system blocks at once was an enemy snug. The creature was eating away at the systems, boarding away steel and processes. It hissed as Greg as he looked into the compartment. Greg was enraged. To everyone's shock, he drew back his oversized hammer and began to bash the ruined system blocks. Their shock turned to anger when they saw the burning sludge of the hammerhead. Having committed his first murder in the line of duty, Greg dropped the ruined sledgehammer and ran back to the gun. Better, he whispered. The others didn't hear his words. They reflexively bowed and began to bray, assuming that this was what he was doing. Hurts, whispered back the primary. I know, Greg said. I hurt too. That's good, because it means we're still alive. Need to keep fighting if you want to survive, though. I'll fix you afterwards. Who will fix your pain after? wondered the turret with another whisper. There are Shulon fixers who will do that, but I'll fix you first. You stay strong, okay? Okay, whispered back the turret. Greg jumped back as the primary one roared back to life. The engineers and gunners cheered as it swung into position and shook with rage, spitting bolts of electrons into the enemies outside. Idiots! Greg smacked the nearest engineer. You can't just crawl inside of it. He doesn't like that. Another engineer locked himself in place with six legs and carefully opened the thick binder that he had been holding, scratching something out, adding a few more words, and he handed the binder over. Read over the new instructions, added a few more words, and slammed it shut. He ran his claw over the letters on the cover and handed the M-type point defense grid-fired battery element manual back to the underling. You've got to have respect for the human machinery, he instructed, and the other Shalon nodded in understanding. You've got to be kind to them, he thought to himself, and skidded off. There was always more work to do. End of story.